Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Retail food workers score a big win in New York. They're calling it the Warehouse Workers Protection Act. Former Twitter employees taking Elon Musk to court. And today on the show, we'll check in with Iron Workers Local 384, located in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, December 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have uh, two guests on the show today. First guest is Christopher O'Keefe, newcomer to the show, and he comes to us from Ironworkers Local 384. They're based in Knoxville, Tennessee. Website, real simple, ironworkers384.com. Chris serves as a business manager financial secretary, treasurer. And he's got an interesting story to tell. He's a 37-year-old college dropout turned iron worker. You know, we find more and more in that situation where they get kind of pushed to go to college and then they realize, you know, I don't know if I'm fit for college. And then all of a sudden they get connected to a trade and the rest is history. He joined 384's apprenticeship program back in uh, 2010, and Chris said, I never looked back. And uh, he worked in various parts of the country, East Coast and the Midwest, and uh, five years ago, 2017, he was hired on as the local organizer, prepping for a huge project in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And that was an interesting time for 384 because the local doubled its size in membership and I understand they're still doing well today, and we're going to talk about that uh, with Chris. He says, if there's any time to join a trade, it is now. There's so much work. A lot of states are pushing forward with their infrastructure. And obviously, we got the Bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act that came out of the White House almost a year ago that was signed into law. And uh, we'll get into uh, why. Join a union, the benefits, the pensions. I mean, there's so many things there. Training opportunities, equal opportunity for all that want to be in a union, representing those that are not represented. You know, they often say unions lift all boats, and that's a pretty good example right there. Safety is the number one issue for for all unions, and uh, I have to salute the iron workers. They embarked on a campaign. This was uh, late in 2020, 2021. And they called it a countdown to zero. We all go home safe. So many times we talk on this show about people that uh, get up in the morning, they have their coffee, they have their breakfast, they go to work. Something happens on the job. They don't make it home. This uh, countdown to zero, if you go to the national website, insulators.org, they have a clock there. And the whole idea is to pursue zero fatalities and incidents. And if you see something that shouldn't be done on the job, open your mouth. If you see something, say something. Say, hey, Joe, uh, maybe you shouldn't be doing it that way. 
that could cause a problem. And maybe Joe is just not paying attention. I mean, that happens. We're all humans. Let's be honest here. So uh, we'll get into all that with uh, Chris O'Keefe. The deadly dozen activities and hazards. That's all posted on National as well. We'll touch on as many as we can. By the way, this local was chartered back in 1923 in Asheville, North Carolina. Then they moved to Knoxville in 1933. It was... uh, Ten years later, that's when the Tennessee Valley Authority was established under the New Deal of FDR. That was an interesting time in America. A lot of people out of work, and it took a president like FDR to turn things around. James Walker will be joining us later in this show on behalf of one of our great sponsors. So appreciative of the United Steelworkers, and they recently renewed their sponsorship of America's Workforce James is a sub-district one director uh, for the steelworkers. And District 1 used to be just the state of Ohio. Now it encompasses Michigan. And um, he is pretty much going to take over Pat Gallagher's job. Pat, great guy. I want to say 27, 28 years with the steelworkers. And uh, he's stepping down at the end of March, and he's taken some time off, especially now during the holidays. So we'll talk about that transition. Also, we'll talk about a new labor agreement at Cleveland Cliffs for basic steel. A little background on Jim. He became a member of the Steelworkers back in 96 at the age of 18, raised in a union home. His father was a member of the Teamsters. Grandpa was a member of the Steelworkers. While uh, two of my great-grandfathers on both sides were members of the United Mine Workers of America. He got involved in the local union leadership around 2000 and held his first elected local union office in uh, 2003. And uh, attended the USW four-year leadership scholarship program. Then went on staff of the International Union in uh, 2018. So James Walker, sub District 1 director for the Steelworkers. A lot of news on the uh, Steelworkers National site. And this was just posted a couple of days ago. The USW said that members have overwhelmingly ratified a four-year contract on behalf of roughly 11,000 members of 13 local unions at U.S. Steel facilities. Tom Conway, international president, credited the solidarity of the membership and the tenacity of the Negotiating Committee for Demanding Respect from U.S. Steel and Bargaining for a Fair Agreement. He went on to say, We fought back against the company's schemes to weaken our contract and change our benefits. As a result, our members have won major economic and contract language improvements that will improve the standard of living of USW members as well as their families. Also, Salute here to a local 9-675. Members at 3M in Alabama scored wage and scheduling wins with a new three-year agreement. The local entered bargaining back in September with a focus on wages and language clarification. They rejected the first offer. Then the membership ratified their final contract at the end of November. They were able to secure significant wage increases for each year of the agreement and multiple improvements to the benefits book, including up to three weeks of paid parental leave 
for qualified employees. And the other big news, in fact, we talked about this just the other day. The uh, steelworkers announced a tentative agreement with the USFL. That's an interesting story because I was wondering where the uh, the Players Association kind of fit in there. But uh, uh, hats off to the steelworkers for, uh, for pulling that off. Good stuff there. All right. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwaterson.com. Well, New York Governor Kathy Hochul has signed into law what's called the Warehouse Worker Protection Act that will help protect workers in the warehousing industry from inhumane quotas. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. The Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, which is affiliated with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, which has Champion, this new law, said it will safeguard warehouse workers at companies like Amazon who are suffering from injuries and illnesses on the job. Stuart Applebaum is the head of the warehouse unit. He said, we have seen increased stress, pain, and resulting safety issues for warehouse workers due to increased quotas and speeds. Well, today we have achieved a big win for worker safety. That's what it's all about. First and foremost, I want to congratulate President Stuart Applebaum on this tremendous victory. That comment from New York State AFL-CIO President Mario Salento, who is with the Communication Workers of America. Mario went on to say this law is a big step toward protecting the health, safety, and labor rights of warehouse workers. No worker, said Mario should have to risk injury or illness to meet inhumane quotas. The new law was desperately needed and will put in place critical protections to ensure a safe workplace. So this is going to cover everybody. This is a new law. This is not a bargaining thing. This is a new law in the state of New York. By the way, the governor in New York, Kathy Hochul, signed a new law just Wednesday that will require all job postings to include salary ranges. As well. And uh, New York now joins Colorado, California, and Washington, which have similar bills. Now, once the law goes into effect, which won't be until September of next year, more than 20% of the entire U.S. workforce will have legally mandated access to pay transparency in job postings. So it looks like uh, that's moving in the right direction. Check this out. The Department of Labor has fined a company called Crumble Cookies. Crumble Cookies. More than $50,000. Why? Violating child labor laws across 11 locations in six states. The violations were the result of employing children for more hours than legally permissible or placing children in positions that were hazardous or prohibited. You... Wouldn't think that would happen in the United States, right? Amazing. By the way, violations of child labor laws are up 37% this year compared to previous years. This is according to the Wage and Hour Division. What the heck is going on here? Reuters is reporting that 100 former Twitter employees have filed arbitrations for employment law violations, all the result of Elon Musk takeover and firings. 
The alleged violations include sex discrimination and failure to pay severance as a breach of contract. One attorney reportedly stated that these employees, because they are subject to arbitration agreements, are likely unable to join the many ongoing employment class actions against Twitter. That's too bad. That company is still in disarray. I don't know. He announced just a couple of days ago. In fact, he did a poll saying, should I remain as CEO? And uh, almost 60% of the people said no. Get out of there. So he says he's going to hire somebody. Very interesting individual. I don't know what money has done to his mind. I think a, a little bit of a pollution there, don't you think? In Iran, striking workers have continued to support the ongoing uprising sparked initially by the police murder of Masha Amini. Thus far, more than 18,000 have been arrested, 500 people killed, and two have been executed. And on Saturday, oil workers in Iran went on strike for improved working conditions and pay, continuing to signal the potential for labor support to play a key role in that uprising. And one more here before we break. Workers at the Maryland Office of the Public Defender have won their union election, voting overwhelmingly to certify AFSCME Maryland Council 6 as their exclusive bargaining representative. Now, this comes... After more than two years of organizing efforts by the workers, including administration staff, social workers, attorneys, and others. Angie Chow is a social worker with the Prince George's County Office. Again, we're talking public defenders here. Angie said, I've seen our collective voices finally be heard in a way that our individual voices simply are not. Now that we've won the right to negotiate our wages and working conditions, we're able to accomplish even more. We're going to continue to fight for the resources we need to positively impact all of us at the Public Defender's Office, our clients, as well as the communities. So congratulations there to the Public Defender's in Maryland, Prince George's County. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the iron workers located in Knoxville, Tennessee. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. 
With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org, ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee right now. And joining us on line number one is Chris O'Keefe. Chris is the business manager, financial secretary, treasurer for Iron Workers Local 384, ironworkers384.com. You probably know by now that Iron Workers National is uh, one of our sponsors. And what we like to do on the show is go around the country and talk to the locals and get a flavor of what's going on in their respective communities. And today we're going to focus on Knoxville, Tennessee, which is part of the uh, Southeastern Council for the uh, Iron Workers. Chris, welcome to the show. How are we doing today, my brother? It is a cold day. I, I can't complain, though. It's beautiful. So, Yeah, there's a lot of people in this country that are being affected by this Arctic blast. And uh, we do the show from uh, Cleveland, Ohio at uh, Iron Workers Local 17, by the way. Just got to do a little shout out for them. We appreciate uh, yeah. their hospitality. Uh, let's let's get familiar with the 384. And uh, so you, you didn't get too much snow yet, but uh, but you're just getting the cold, right? Correct. It's like 40 chests over here driving. It's uh, really cold and windy, so you're just dealing with the wind on the road. So Yeah. I have to ask you this. In conditions like this, are the guys working today? I mean, is this pretty much mandated? Um, you have some guys who have some uh, – they're, they're blessed with the indoor work, and uh, yeah. so they'll continue to work. And some of the – I don't think a crane will be up in the air today. But uh, So they got some ground work and some side work. They can do it, but – yeah, anyone hanging is not probably not going to be hanging today. A little cold. I little hear windy. you. I hear you. How many members in uh, 384 right now, Chris? We're looking at just over 400. Okay. So, uh, is that pretty good membership pretty, for East Tennessee? Is that pretty steady? Yeah, well, um, it's been steady for the past five years. Um, work picked up. We had a, a huge Oak Ridge project, the uranium processing facility. And we mm-hmm. got to organize during that time frame, and we pretty much doubled the size of our local during that time frame. And we've yeah, continued was, to hold our own since then. I was talking about that earlier uh, in the, the intro of the show. I want to get into details on that, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about you. I understand you're, uh, you're a college dropout. College wasn't for you. You decided to become an iron worker. I hear this story all the time. I mean, because so many counselors tell the the kids today you got to go to college you got to go to college and not everybody's cut out for that kind of thing so why don't you take me back to that time tell me what happened yeah, there. yeah that's how it was sold i mean uh, it was sold college 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 um and so that's the route i went uh, i did three and a half years uh, but uh, i went to a private college and then transferred to a uh, just a regular university and so during that transfer time i lost about 30 40 credits you know because the private college didn't transfer over to that one and I got to really looking hard at, do I want to do another two years of college? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, so I dropped out, and that was around 2007, 2008. So that's also when that recession hit. So it was put your belt back on and work if you want to do anything. And uh, so I went back in the non-union field and started working doing 
regular construction. And then uh, I heard about the Iron Workers Union in Knoxville, which, you know, I didn't know about it, the unions at all during that time frame. And I applied for the apprenticeship and, well, never looked back. Let's put it that way. It was a, a life yeah. changer. Yeah. You worked in uh, non-union construction. Can you uh, can you talk about that a little bit? That had to be a bit brutal for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was good work, but uh, safety was definitely not of the uh, most uh, – <laughs> it wasn't the number one priority by any means. Um, yeah. and the pay wasn't there by any means either. Um, but I mean, it was, it was constant work, right? It was work that you, know, you felt like you were always at, here at home, but some days you weren't doing anything and other days you're doing things that are just completely unsafe. Um, but I mean, it was a good, it was still good work, good pay, um, yeah. for, you know, a time of recession, you know, cause construction was the only thing that was still going a little bit, but, uh, like I said, once I once I found out about the apprenticeship, my day, my, my pay doubled. <laughs> I got benefits, and uh, like I said, I just saw this uh, this light in front of me. Uh-huh. You know, there's another opportunity in life other than college and other than being the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. And, uh, so just embrace that full heartedly, and I mean, here we are. I never thought I'd be in the, the, the position I am today. That's awesome. Great story. Great story there. You know, when you worked in in the non union sector, you, you mentioned how they uh, skirted safety. Uh, I'm yeah. just. Did they ever get? Did they ever get call, the company that you worked with? Did they ever get called out on it? No, I mean, to be honest with the OSHA in Tennessee. I mean, I think there's only two to four different OSHA people that can walk around. You know, inspectors, and uh, I think I've seen them on maybe one or two job sites my whole career, and they were union job sites. Wow. Um, but I've never really seen them on. I mean, there's there's no one coming and watching you. There's <laughs> just get the job done. You know what I mean? And they'll turn their head to get it done. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. They need a whole lot more inspectors. Um, apparently though, they're just not getting the funds that they, uh, that they deserve. I mean, I mean, it's a I mean, bureaucracy of things, right? Because it, ca- it costs money to do it. And then yeah. at the same time, who's paying for those inspectors? Does the state want to cover those charges? And you know what I mean? So it becomes it's definitely, a, uh, I've tried some things here in Knoxville too, trying to get some, um, some code for structural steel and whatnot. And there's a lot of recommendations that the contractors can go by, but if the engineer firm or the, you know, aren't requiring certain things, the city's not requiring it either. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a, the wild west when it comes to construction and, and iron work. Well, your state, Chris, let's be honest. I mean, it's not what you call union friendly. I mean, look at what they just did with the right to work. They enshrined it in your constitution. I mean, come on here. I mean, these yeah. politicians, they're, they're a different breed in Tennessee, aren't they? They, they are. The, I don't understand it. I mean, we've been a right to wait. You know, we've been a, a right to work state for, I mean, 1942 or 1943, something like that. We adopted it. Yeah. So there was no need to put it in, into, you know, enshrine it into the Constitution by no means. But they, so it was their number one priority for the past three years. Chris, didn't they word that uh, in a way that people didn't even know what they were voting on? Wasn't it something like that? Yeah, I, I wish I, I had the picture in front of me to actually, but it was a full page if you had to read through it all. And um, it made it seem as if this was for your benefit um, as a, a normal citizen to Tennessee. Um, it was very confusing. Even the members yeah. of the union, you know, that we've talked about it for months, talked about it, and they come back and go, was I supposed to vote yes or no on that one? It was confusing. So, yeah, it, it was. And, and as a result, you got people voting against their best interests. That's the sad part about that. And it, it, it's yeah, now in- and 
it's hard to, it's hard to educate everybody when it comes to voting. Um, you know, everyone's got their day-to-day tasks and I'm just glad they showed up to vote, right? That's the first step, but there's a lot to vote on when you go there and sometimes it's overwhelming. Chris, let's switch gears here a little bit. You, you mentioned about, uh, your uh, local doubling in size. I think that was in uh, 2017. And uh, a lot of that had to do with this project. What was it in Oak Ridge, Tennessee? Can we, uh, can we get into that? What happened there? Yeah. So Oak Ridge, Tennessee is uh, where the Manhattan project took place. Right. And that's, so that's where it's the uranium processing facility and they were creating a new one. And so, um, you know, it's about 400 iron workers. There are one on site at a hall at the time was about 180 members. Um, so, you know, we can rely on the boomers, as we call them, travelers, to come help us with the job. But a lot of these jobs, you know, in the South aren't paying the per diem and things like that to get those travelers uh, originally. So we looked at it as an opportunity to, you know, scour the area and find guys who wanted a better opportunity and organize them in as probationary members um, where they didn't go through the apprenticeship, right? These guys, their apprenticeship was the non-union field for the past five to 10 years, um, some longer. And we organized them in and got them to work with the union. Um, and with that, like I said, our halls doubled in size and we've managed several couple of big projects since then. And, um, a lot of these projects are manned with newly organized members. And, uh, it's great. You come to a union meeting and it's, it's half and half, right? Guys who've been here for 20 years and guys who just organized in, and they're all buddies. And you see them on Facebook doing Christmas parties right now together. And it's a true brotherhood. Um, a lot of respect given to the iron workers across the field. That's interesting. So let's clarify that a little bit. They, they were working non-union, but they were iron workers. So did they right. not go through the apprenticeship program then because they had experience? Correct. So we based off experience. And at the same time, um, something that's been, even for myself, when I came out of the apprenticeship, I came out of the apprenticeship uh, with a full JIW card, which, you know, you can weld, do it all, connect, decking. Um, but at the same time, my business manager that preceded me was here for 28 years as business manager, Steve Kirkland. And, um, I remember when I was organizer, our apprentice coordinator didn't want to top out an apprentice because he couldn't weld and, you know, and want to make sure he gets everything. But this kid was really, really good at tie and rebar. And, um, Steve looked at our apprentice coordinator at the time and was like, kick and tie rebar, let him top out. You know what I mean? Now, if we get a welding call, he won't be able to go do a welding call because he can't weld. Mm-hmm. But he can make a career at and rebar. And that was kind of the mindset when we organized. You know, some of these guys is like decking. All they've done is structural or all they've done is weld. But there's a spot that we can find for them. And then we have the training that can get them trained in the other areas to better themselves. And it's up to them at that point, right? Because if they don't get their welding search and I have a welding call, they won't be able to go to work. I see. But if they yeah. come in here on their off time and come, we open up night classes and everything to to get these guys time, even if they're working, to come in here and better themselves to have more career opportunities in the union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get more skills so you can do it. So Correct. at 384, your, your members, you mentioned it's like over 400, 410 to be exact. Do uh, most of them have all those skills? Can they do all those jobs, the rebar, the welding and all that, and the decking? And that's the reality. Uh, no, right? We have We have about 80% that can pretty much do – a little bit of everything, right? But we have about 20 to 30% of our employment that is our, our, our iron workers that are actually welding certified, right? Because not everyone's welding every day. 
so at the same time, it's not 100% are welding certified. So I couldn't say 100% could go out there and take every call for welding. Um, but a lot of those guys have taken rigging jobs and have rigged for the last 10 years and never needed to weld, right? But if they, they still had some of those guys have the skills, they just have to go recertify again. It isn't like they can't weld. They just aren't certified in the meantime because they've been working for a company like Barnhart for 10 years doing cranes and rigging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, a lot of the guys have the ability to, and then you have some guys who are 20 years in rebar, and they don't want to touch structural steel. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've done yeah. their time. They just like rebar, and that's all they want to do. And that's the beauty right. of it, too, is uh, some of those times those guys are really needed for a rebar job. Um, but they're not going to help you fill in a structural job. <laughs> <laughs> we get a good flavor of your local. This is interesting. I love it. Chris O'Keefe joining us uh, on our live line today. Chris is the business manager, financial secretary, treasurer of Iron Workers Local 384, ironworkers384.com, based in Knoxville, Tennessee. We'll continue the conversation after this. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Jim Walker. Jim is a sub-district one director for one of our great sponsors. That would be the United Steelworkers. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back down to Knoxville, Tennessee, rejoin Chris O'Keefe who serves as business manager, financial secretary for uh, Iron Workers Local 384. Chris, I want to talk about safety. I mean, it's so important to all unions. And when you think about what the iron workers do, my gosh, I mean, you really, really got to pound safety. And I got to salute National here on their campaign. They call it Countdown to Zero. And they want everybody to go home safe. I mean, it's so important that when you work all day and you guys work hard, work really, really hard, that you come home to your family to dinner and then go on to the next day. 
And um, I just have to ask you, um, I, I don't know what the stats are nationally, but uh, Eric Dean, I got to salute him on this campaign as a general president to make sure that uh, we have zero fatalities and incidents. How did, uh, how's 384 right now? Uh, um, can you give us a little snapshot on, on uh, what the year's been like? Yeah, 2022 has been a really good year for us. Um, Safety is definitely in all of our job sites, especially being a lot of them DOE or TVA. Safety is the number one concern. I mean, to a point of that will stop the job. Uh, let's rethink something. Let's do this slower, right, before we, you know, just jump into it, all because of safety. Um, it's been a big stepping stone for the guys we've organized to come into a lot of these workplaces that, you know, the union jobs are at and have to slow it down and realize that it's not about production first. It's about safety first, you know, and quality and production second. And so it's um, our training programs were really good to get these guys in here and give them all the, and this is how you do it right. This is how you slow it down. This is, you know, let's take a minute to step back. And um, with that said, we've been really lucky in 2022 to be uh, with no major injuries or nothing like that. It's a, it's always something to look back at and be, be blessed. Well, you should be proud of that. Well, that's certainly good to hear, Chris. Chris, you brought up something that I wish all businesses would pay attention to, and that is to slow down. And, and you know, you hear all these stories that big companies, profitable companies like Amazon, they, they push you, they push you. UPS is another one. They've got uh, representation by the Teamsters, but they want to hurry things up. I have to ask you, uh, you're, a lot of that is in your situation is the contractor. The contractor wants to get the job done in a, in a timely manner. I get that. And in some cases, some contractors would push it to the limit as well. So that being said, what's your relationship with contractors at uh, 384? I mean, we're blessed here to have a lot of our, uh, our work, like I said, to be DOE and TVA. And uh, so they can't have a meeting and tell me safety first and then try to tell my men something different because I'll call them out on it, right? And uh, they're not like that. They're all about safety. And so it's just a uh, – for us, it's it's hard when you organize some of these guys because they come in from the non-union where it's blow and go. Um, and so when they have to relax, it, it's really – you know, it's tough for them, but um, it is something to learn. At the same time, when we have another contractor come in here from up north or from even down south and they pick up a job that's, you know, inside Knoxville, that's, you know, a profitable job or tonnage job, um, the guys love the opportunity to really hang 100 pieces a day. And because they have the safety qualifications on every other job they've done, they know how to do it safely and, and to do it, you know, they do it happily because they, they want to hang 100 to 120 pieces a day. But no crazy places like that. They're not going to let them. I mean, it's because safety is first. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's it's hard for the iron workers. Like I said, uh, that's what's the hardest part. It's because it's hard for a lot of these guys, especially the old time, the old timers who who are raising that habit of blow and go, um, and then coming to the new era where it's like no safety first. But it's it's worked out really well, um, and in the end, it, it shows shows it in the stats. Right, we don't have members dying. We have members going home safely. We have more members retiring. Um, and enjoying their retirement. You know, that's what it's all about. Exactly. You know, this campaign has uh, got a pretty good slogan here. If you see something, say something. And that's yeah. obviously directed to the workers because, uh, you know, not everybody's up to speed sometimes on the job, depending on what they did the night before. Maybe they're not feeling well. They're not, they're not focused on the job. 
at 384. Uh, is that message getting through to the members there? Absolutely. I mean, it's sometimes right. It can annoy the uh, superintendents <laughs> if you know they want to get through with the job and someone's stopping it. But it, it, we have bracelets to say it as well, I and mean, those things go like hotcakes. Um, but really, it's see something, say something, guys. If it's unsafe, don't do it. I mean, gotcha. Like you, like you said earlier, we want to go home. Uh, it's not a, the same condition we came in, but a better condition, right? With money in our pocket. So. I want to call attention to the national website. Those of you listening, if you go to uh, ironworkers.org, you can check out the deadly dozen activities and hazards and the, the shopman's safety and health campaign to target those hazards. And it lists all the things that could happen on the job for an iron worker. It's scary. It really is. And that's so important that uh, we pay attention to as much safety protocol as we can. I mean, there's falls through unprotected or inadequate floor opening covers, falls during installation of a roof decking. Um, let's see. There's a toxic welding fumes that create uh, serious health hazards. I mean, there's a whole list of rigging failure. You could spend a whole show just on that alone. But I want to move on here because you said something uh, when you sent some of the talking points to me about the time to join a trade is now. And, uh, Chris, I'm, I'm hearing that across the board. Every every trade is crying for workers right now. And I'm just wondering um, what you are doing at 384 to uh, to penetrate the schools, the community there, and say, hey, you know what? Come on down. Come on down. I tried college. I couldn't finish it. I couldn't do it. I got a better job anyway. I'm making a whole lot more money. I'm getting a good pension and all the benefits. I mean, God, you got so many, so many attributes to get into the trade. So I'm just wondering what you're doing down there at Knoxville. Well, I said the atmosphere has definitely changed over the years. Um, you see a lot of these high schools, especially with college you know, uh, not being the number one option anymore. They're, just, they're definitely pushing more trade schools. And so you see them coming to our table as well, saying, hey, can you come to our schools um, and talk to our kids? But at the same time, as we go to a non-union job sites, we have signs up everywhere. Um, pretty much, I mean, I've I've met a lot, of, a lot of guys in the last five years when I was organizer and I was business manager that are non-union that know me today. They still just decide they like where they're working. They're going to stay where they're at. There's no, no beef, right? Um, but at the same time, they know 384. We've really put our name out in the area. And with that said, I think a lot of locals are doing the same thing with the infrastructure bill, you know, and, and trying to do PLAs on things over $35 million. It's adding a lot of work that the unions are picking up that, like I said, since we're organizing like we are, um, it gives a lot of opportunity to those who want to jump on it. Um, and so with that said, if you're in a major, like Memphis right now with that, you know, the four project, if you're an iron worker in that area and you're not trying to get on that job, I mean that's a that is a money maker and an opportunity of a lifetime. So it's a lot of a lot of opportunities like that across the country. And, and these opportunities, they're not just like six months or a year. I mean, I'm hearing no. some of them are ten, fifteen years out. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you could spend half of your career at one job. Especially, you mentioned that the, like the the EV production that's going on yeah you get there's a lot going on especially in uh, tennessee and kentucky when it comes to electrical vehicles that's uh, it's all good to hear good to hear uh we just got to get better relations with the the politicians there so they're a little more union friendly i am sure with the growth of your union i congratulate you on doubling the size on that 
And once we get more people in the unions, I think you're going to see those politicians start maybe changing their tune a little bit. Any goals in mind? I mean, you're at 410 right now. Where do you see that number going in the next couple of years, Chris? I mean, our, we see a lot of work here in the future. TVA has got their mini nukes that they want to start up next year. Um, we see a lot more of these battery plants popping up. Um, so really, I think that in our opportunity here, we can continue to grow, um, continue to gain market share. And like you said, hopefully with that, we can change the politicians and change the atmosphere of, of Tennessee. But it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, but I think we're doing our part here in Knoxville, Tennessee, across the board. Well, the fight goes on. Okay, brother, Chris O'Keefe joining us on our live line today, business manager, financial secretary, treasurer of Ironworkers Local 384, ironworkers384.com. You take care, stay safe, and you have the best holiday, okay, man? You too, man. Enjoy this crisp weather. (laughs) We'll do that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. James Walker is with the Steelworkers. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers' International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And keep in mind, if you like a show, and I know you like a lot of the shows that we do, if you like it, please share that show because we count all the downloads and our sponsors definitely appreciate that. And we want to bring more sponsors to the table in 2023 so we can grow the show. You like the show, we want to grow the show. We appreciate that. AWFpodcast.com is the website. Let's go to line number two right now and welcome a newcomer to the show. James Walker is his name, and he is Subdistrict 1 Director for one of our proud sponsors, and that would be the United Steelworkers, USW.org is their website. And uh, we got some change in the works here. Pat Gallagher, longtime supporter of the show, is in the process of retiring. He's taking some vacation time. And I believe at the end of March, that's it for Pat Gallagher. And the man filling his shoes is Mr. James Walker. Mr. Walker, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining America's Workforce today, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So talk to me about this transition, but first talk to me about yourself. I see uh, you became a member of the Steelworkers back in, what was it, 1996? Can you go back to that time for us? 
Yeah, actually, uh, 1996 uh, was the year I graduated high school. Um, I graduated in June. I was fortunate enough. A friend of mine that I grew up, his dad was a steel worker. Uh, one of our uh, local, it was a forging shop uh, close to where I grew up. I was fortunate enough, he put my name in, gave me a referral. I got a union job with the United Steel Workers when I was 18 years old. I started working my way up. I grew up in a union household, so I was, um, you know, I was interested in learning about union leadership and contract bargaining and grievance handling and those kind of things. Immediately, as soon as I got in um, at the forging shop I came from, I worked my way up and became a financial secretary and a um, then got on the contract bargaining committee and eventually became a local union president. Um, then went through a four-year leadership program with the United Steelworkers. And eventually in 2018, um, I broke service and left the forging company I came up through and went to work for the United Steelworkers. Where did you actually uh, grow up, Jim? Uh, near Warren, Ohio. Okay. Boy, that's seen some changes over the years, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the my my grandfather was a United Steelworker. He retired from what was then WCI, was originally Republic Steel. Uh, he started in Youngstown, and then went to Warren. And there, of course, now they're all completely gone. Nothing but a brownfield, unfortunately. Oh, I know. And you know, it's it's interesting to note too. You became a steelworker when, boy, we saw so many mills shutting down. I mean, Warren. Youngstown, Cleveland, remember Bethlehem Steel, LTV, Jones and Lachlan. I, I mean, I come from a steelworker's family, so I know this all too well. And we started the show back in 98, and I remember talking to Dave McCall almost every other day about what was going yeah. on. But uh, but you guys survived. That's what unions do. They find a way to keep it going. And uh, you're you're strong today. I mean, my gosh, almost was it over 800,000 members and especially since you moved uh merged with the uh, the paper workers and all that. But uh um I want to talk about this leadership scholarship program. That that sounds interesting. Um a four-year program. It sounds like a college course. And you attended that uh what was it? Uh, 2018. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? What uh, what did you, what what was the course curriculum and all that? Yeah, so in, I graduated from the program in 2018, so I started it uh, in 14. Um, it's a program that is put on through our international education department. Um, it's a four-year program, but you're only actually attending classes one week out of the year. Um, that that one week is pretty much you're you're working and learning well before the sun comes up and long after the sun goes down. Um, we usually attend at Linden Hall, our training facility in Pennsylvania. Um, the course curriculum, it varies and it changes, of course, as the, as the times change. Um, but it starts very general and starts, you know, with even with public speaking, things like that. Uh, we do arbitration courses, so you learn how to become a union advocate for arbitration. Uh, we even, you know, bring a panel of arbitrators in and they kind of let us pick their brain and learn how they interpret contract language and things like that. Um, and then, you know, it, it centers around uh, a lot of activism. There's almost always some kind of an action going on that we take part in. And then when you're not at Linden Hall, so the, the other 51 weeks out of the year, um, we concentrate on doing good works for the local union, good works for our communities, 
um, highlighting things like that because, you know, I think it is a, as union members, we sometimes, we do charity drives and we do things for our community and we do it for the right reasons, right? We do it because we care about our communities and we don't highlight it. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that that we do in this leadership scholarship program is understand the importance of, you know, people understanding that, you know, the, these union members are their neighbors and and they do all these things for the community. And so that's part of it as well. That's great. Now, with Pat leaving, I'm sure there had to be a number of conversations going on between the two of you on this uh, transition. Can you uh, reflect on some of that? I mean, I know Pat's been, uh, I think it's like 27, maybe 28 years he's with the Steelworkers. A lot of history there, a lot of institutional knowledge and uh not to slight you, I mean, you've been around since 96, so uh, talk to me about that transition, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, you know, when I came on staff, I came on as a staff representative in 2018. Um, and as a staff representative, of course, we take care of, I think I had 25 or 26 contracts I was servicing at the time. Um, and our, our basic role is to serve as uh, the chair of the, any negotiating committees when we're negotiating their contracts. Um, and also, again, be that advocate um, during arbitration. Um, all the grievance handling that gets to third step or higher, we take care of all of that. Um, and when I came on in 2018, um, Pat was my subdistrict director. So I re- you know, reported to him. He was immediately above me as, as far as you would call the food chain, I guess. Um, and really the, the purpose of the subdistrict director is to be there for staff representatives when they need some guidance when they need some help as you mentioned institutional knowledge you know um for me coming on staff and having pat to report to um was you know it was fantastic every time i needed anything anytime i ran into an issue that i wasn't quite sure how to handle you know every time i picked up the phone pat answered the phone and and I don't recall Pat saying I don't know very often. You know, he, he's he's certainly um, he's been through a lot of fights. He's seen a lot of things. Um, he's a, a very intelligent individual. Um, he's seen a you know again a, a lot of different circumstances in the in labor relations and in the labor movement. Um, so for me, having Pat as a subdirector was invaluable. You know, whenever I needed help, he was there. Um, you know, and 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 I guess Pat probably saw something in me in that, you know, he would kind of have me take on a little more and a little more and a little more. And, and I, I, listen, I I love our members and I love what I do. Um, I consider myself very fortunate to get to serve the members of the steelworkers. So I was always wanting to learn more and wanting to take on more. Um, And that just kind of morphed itself into, um, you know, me being the guy that was going to take over when, when Pat retired. And, and again, I'm, terribly fortunate to have gotten to work with Pat as long as I have um, and to pick up, as you call it, that institutional knowledge. You know, I think that's just like a journeyman and an apprentice, right? Uh, He has all this experience and, and all these things. And, you know, so for me to be able to pick his brain um, for the last four years uh, before he retires has has really been fantastic. And isn't the official date um, April one that you, uh, that you take over, isn't that right? Yeah, so they they actually appointed me subdistrict director on December first, even though Pat is still technically on, uh, because he's taking his vacation at the end of this year, and then he's taking some vacation at the beginning of next year as well, um, just so that way there's no real lapse um, in having a subdirector. 
Uh, there's there's always things going on, always some drastic things going on, so that way there's no real gap. Uh, but his official date will be April 1st, yes. Yeah, gotcha. Well, there's a lot to discuss here, and we're running out of time. I, I wanted to you know, really get into this transition, but uh, one of the things you want to talk about, sure. maybe if you could uh, encapsule it here briefly, is the uh, the deal at Cleveland Cliffs for basic steel. Uh, sounds like a pretty good deal in your estimation. Can you Can you reflect on that real quick? Yeah, actually, we have um, the basic steel deal went through for Cleveland Cliffs um, a couple months ago. Um, it was, you know, one of the certainly one of the better deals that I've ever seen. Um, lots of economic pluses in it. Um, there was some um, additions and, um, you know, betterments to health care. Uh, when it was Arsler Middle, uh, our members, their spouses had to get their own health care if they could and things like that. That's all completely gone away now. Our members are having their spouses back on health care with all their dependents. Um, they're, they got 20% wage increases over four years, um, with 8% of that coming up front in year one, which was a great, you know, great way to you know, reward these workers that everybody at, at, through COVID and all of that kept saying how essential we were. But a lot of our, you know, employers didn't want to treat us as essential. Um, and Cliffs did that with this, uh, with this general wage increase. Um, you know, through through bargaining and and certainly through Dave McCall being the chairman of that bargaining committee, um, you know, we we kept after it and kept after it until we got the best deal that we could. And now, as of Tuesday, um, U.S. Steel has also ratified now as well, and they actually mm-hmm. their deal is a little bit different, um, but they still got they got twenty percent over the next four years in general wage increases, increases in the pension multiplier, and things like that that are important to our members. Um, also health care that's still not costing our members anything. Uh, they just ratified it. I'm pretty sure it was Tuesday they just ratified. So yeah, both the, yeah. both segments of uh, basic steel are done now, and, and we have a four-year agreement going forward, which provides all kinds of security for our members. Nice way to wrap up 2022. I love that. Yeah, Absolutely. that U.S. Steel. Yeah, that U.S. Steel deal is 11,000 members, 13 uh, locals. That's all posted on uh, USW.org. James Walker joining us on our live line, sub district one director for the United Steelworkers National website, usw.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to talking to you in 23. You stay safe. Best of the holiday to you and your family. Okay, brother. You too. Thanks for having me on flash. Have a great holiday. You got it. That's it for another edition of America's workforce coming up on Monday. We're going to check in with the president of national nurses United and the latest from the transportation trades department of the AFL CIO until then, all of you have a wonderful holiday. That concludes another episode of the America's workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. So you never miss a show. America's workforce is a production of labor tools and BMA media group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.